Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another episode of Trundle Bed Tales Radio. Tonight we're going to be talking to Paul Jewell about Abraham Lincoln, James Harlan, and Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And I've been looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a great episode. But before we get to that, we've got a little housekeeping to take care of. And what we've got coming up on for the radio show uh, in upcoming weeks, we're going to, on October 1st, have our uh, monthly update about what's going on in Laura Ingalls Wilder fandom. It's getting to be the end of Laura season, but we've still got some things going on, so be sure to hit that. Our next interview show is going to be uh, of with uh, several of the people who work with the Laura Ingalls Wilder site in Spring Valley, Minnesota. That's going to be our next interview. And uh, we're also then looking in November at having the person who I think knows more about Carrie Ingalls Swainsey than uh, about anybody else in the whole world. So I think we're going to have some real winter episodes coming up for you soon. I want to remind everybody, if you haven't yet, uh, you can always catch up on past episodes of the show by streaming live on the website. You can find information about what episodes you might have missed on either the Blog Talk Radio page or on my blog or website. And you can also download episodes to take with you from iTunes. Now, if you would like to call in, you can do that at 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253. Or toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. That's one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And you can also, um, when you call in that way, you can just listen, or you can raise your hand and pose a question or give a comment to a guest. And we also have a chat room open now, so if you want to uh, give a uh, message that way, you can also find that in that streaming while the episode is live. And if you didn't get a chance to look at it yet, you might want to stop by the Trendle Bed Tales YouTube channel. We've got a fairly new video up this month where we are uh, doing a short interview with a man who is making replica replicas of Laura Ingalls Wilder's lap desk. So, all sorts of good things going on in Laura fandom this month and with the radio show. So, thank you for tuning in. And back to the main event with Paul. So, Paul, you should be coming on air now. Why don't you uh, start out with uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, my name is Paul Jewell, and I live in Iowa City. Uh, I'm a retired school counselor. I've been retired for about the last 10 years. Uh, But my main avocational interest has been in Iowa history, and uh, I've done some writing and research uh, of stories uh, that are of interest to Iowans. Well, that's certainly true. I am always running across you in all sorts of Iowa history uh, organizations and events. So I know you are the go-to man, but especially uh, for this uh, special project about Abraham Lincoln and James Harlan. So. Well, it's a really curious Iowa connection between the Harlan family and the family of Abraham Lincoln. And I came across the story some years ago. Uh, I I think I had heard it before that time, but I'm interested in photography. So I went down to Mount Pleasant, Iowa, which is the county seat of Henry County 
It's about 50 miles uh, south of Iowa City, and I went onto the campus of Iowa Wesleyan College and uh, sought uh, photographs uh, because I knew that Abraham Lincoln's grandchildren had spent some time in that town uh, back at the end of the uh, of the 19th century. Um, well, once once yeah, there, yeah. I, found, I found a very interesting connection, and uh, I later uh, wrote, uh, researched, and, and wrote about that connection. Now, before we get too far in it, for the non-Iowans, whereabout in Iowa is Henry County? Yeah, we're in southeast uh, section of Iowa, and of course, uh, Iowa City is a home to the University of Iowa, and uh, this would be directly south uh, on a four-lane highway, uh, Highway 218, uh, 50 miles. Uh, so we would be getting about 40 miles from the Missouri border. Yes, the one time I stayed in Mount Pleasant and they had uh, biscuits and gravy for breakfast and I was teasing them because it was so southern and they just were like, <laughs> of course we have it. What are you talking about? Well, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. Um, and the, the town also had some significance at the time in which Iowa became a state uh, because it snared one of the uh, state hospitals, the state hospital for the insane, and at that time, uh, uh, many of the towns of Iowa were seeking some kind of a, a state institution or a college. Yes, and it certainly was the making or breaking of a town. I know um, the Laura listeners uh, will always remember that the School for the Blind is at Vinton, and that right. was another one of them up for grabs. That's right. That's right. So... Illinois is the land of Lincoln, but Iowa has had some pretty strong connections as well. Well, certainly with the Lincoln family they have. Uh, most people uh, know some things about Abraham Lincoln's time here uh, campaigning. Uh, they also know that he owned some land, uh, which was a land grant given for some of his military service. But I think that the connection between uh, Abraham and Mary Lincoln's son uh, Robert Todd Lincoln uh, is probably the strongest connection that the Hawkeye State has uh, with the land of Lincoln. And it's probably the least known because you hear people talk about him being the railroad lawyer and you hear somewhat about him picking Council Bluffs for the starting place of the Transcontinental Railroad and his visit there. But you don't really hear very much about Mount Pleasant, which always kind of surprises me because it's an important part of the story. It's a very important part of the story, and I think as I tell the story tonight, Sarah, I'm going to start. Um, I'm going to start in the year 1865 down in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and okay. uh, the, my starting point there is that uh, Mount Pleasant people and, and all Iowans and all Americans, for that matter, were really, really tired of the Civil War. Um, uh, they knew in 1865, in March of 1865, that the war was really winding down. And uh, they were hopeful that it would soon be over. Uh, they also knew that Abraham Lincoln had been uh, elected to his second term in office. But the big news down in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, was uh, some some of the young women had uh, uh, received letters from Washington, D.C. that stated that uh, the young woman from their town, Mary Harland, had been asked to attend the second inaugural ball with Robert Todd Lincoln, the son of the president. And, of course, that made, uh, that made some big news all around uh, the small Henry County town of 4,000 people. I think uh, it would be really... big news. I think it'd be big news around Iowa that you well, got invited. Well, it was, although it was more limited. The communicative process was a little more limited at that time. Uh, but certainly in Mount Pleasant and Henry County, uh, everyone knew that this was going to take place. And they knew um, Mary uh, Harlan really well, um, even though uh, for the past year she had been living part-time in Washington, D.C., where her father was uh, the state senator, or the, the senator, U.S. senator, uh, and part-time in Mount Pleasant. But everybody knew the Harlan family in Mount Pleasant. So, uh, but they weren't uh, originally from Mount Pleasant, right? No. James Harland had actually been born in Illinois and raised in Indiana. Um, and he was raised in a log cabin um, out in the uh, heavy forest. Um, and uh, his parents, uh, had, he had been raised as farmhand, but his parents were really strong Methodists. In fact, the circuit riders that came through there, they would refer to the Harland home as a, a preaching place. 
because that was a spot that a lot of the, the Methodist ministers wanted to conduct their services. Um, he had a, a, a uh, rudimentary uh, education at a country school, uh, but he had the good fortune to, to uh, be a, a very intelligent young man. Uh, he applied himself to his studies and eventually was uh, accepted at what was then called Indiana Asbury University. Now we know it as DePauw University uh, in Greencastle, Indiana. Um, and he, ach- he achieved a high level there, too. Um, it was during the time, in fact, that he was in Greencastle that he met uh, a young woman whose name was Ann Eliza Peck, and uh, they fell in love. Uh, he taught country school for a year. They fell in love and got married in uh, the summer of 1845. Uh, and she was an interesting person in herself. She had been an orphan and was living with her, her uncle in Greencastle and attending a, a ladies' seminary there at the time they met and, and fell in love. And uh, James's uh, aspirations were, he wanted to be a school administrator. Um, he had enjoyed education, and they heard uh, that there was going to be a job, a presidency of a, a new educational institution uh, in Iowa City. And Iowa City at that time had just been named uh, the new territorial capital of the territory of Iowa. Uh, previous to that, Burlington had served as the capital of the territory of Iowa, mm-hmm. uh, but they had created this new town that they called Iowa City. In about 1841, they had put in a cornerstone in the old capital, and so a lot of people from Ohio and Indiana were moving, thinking this would be a great town for a young couple uh, to get a start, and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so they loaded up a spring buggy, and out they came. Well, I know Iowa City was quite the happening place for a while. It had the University of Iowa. It had the School for the Blind. Um, It was uh, really a a center of culture for the state until everything moved west to Des Moines. It was. um, Actually, James Harland, uh, the the school that he came, it was a a private college that was affiliated with the Methodist Church, but uh, it wasn't successful. But like a lot of young men, and he was just 24, 25 years old at that time, like a lot of young men, he thought, now what do I do? He studied for a while pharmacy, and then he uh, studied law and was admitted to the bar. And soon after that, he was selected for the position of the Iowa Superintendent of Public Instruction, uh, which was, uh, he he moved up fast, up the ladder of success. Um, But he was not totally satisfied with that political position, and he still wanted to be an educational administrator. Uh, But it was during the time they were in Iowa City that they started to raise a family. In fact, when Ann and James came from uh, Indiana on that springboard buggy, uh, she was already pregnant with her first child. And that child was a girl named Mary Eunice, and she was born in uh, 1846, actually just a short time Uh, before Iowa became a state. They became a state uh, a month or so later uh, in December of 46. Uh, They also had a a son named Silas that died here in Iowa City, and then another son, William, who was born in 1852. Uh, But but they weren't satisfied, and uh, James heard about an opportunity uh, down in Mount Pleasant uh, at what was then called the Mount Pleasant Collegiate Institute, and uh, he wanted to look into it. He would become the uh, the president or the, the chief administrator and also a professor at the school. And uh, he thought it had a lot of potential. Um, he did ask for certain things before he would take the job. He wanted a new building built. Uh, he wanted uh, them to have a new curriculum, and, and he wanted a new name for the school. Um, but uh, they accepted that, the people of Mount Pleasant, and uh, he and his family loaded up their belongings in Iowa City and, and went to Mount Pleasant. Now, is that building that he wanted, Is uh, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with the campus down there. Is that the one that's still sort of in the center of the campus today? Right. Um, the, the oldest building on campus is one called Pioneer Hall. And when uh, James and Anne arrived in Mount Pleasant, they actually lived in the, the top part of that building. It's still on campus. Huh. But the building that he wanted 
is the one that they now call Old Main. And he actually went door-to-door soliciting funds to build that building. And some say he even stepped off the uh, parameters of the building with his own feet. Um, so huh. uh, it's it's quite a bit of the Iowa Wesleyan history. And at that time, Iowa Wesleyan took the name University, uh, and that was the change that was made in, in terms of the naming of the school. But then just two years after they had settled themselves into Mount Pleasant with his young family, and when they came to Mount Pleasant, uh, Mary was about seven years old, and Will, William, uh, was just a one or so. So he had a very young family. Um, But within two years, um, he was again looking into some possibilities. Not just James, but a lot of the people around him were encouraging him encouraging him to take a political role. Um, James had been a Whig, and uh, but at that time the old Whig party was kind of dissolving, and people were talking about a new political party uh, that they uh, were calling the Republican Party. And James and some other men went up to the small town of Crawfordsville, Crawfordsville uh, which is near Mount Pleasant, and they kind of created uh, our state's Republican Party at that time. In many ways, James Harlan is the father of the Republican Party in Iowa. So um, do you so call? Do you go with the Crawfordsville story that they're the founding point of the National Republican Party, uh, or do you go with no, the Wisconsin I, people? Yeah, I think Rip on Wisconsin probably was uh, has a better claim for that. But most certainly, I think Crawfordsville uh, was the founding town of the Iowa Republican Party. Yeah, I always love to see that on their sign. Back before they uh, made uh, 218 four lanes, you drive through all the little towns on your way down to Mount Pleasant to visit Old Thrashers, and you'd go through Crawfordsville, and it was always birthplace of the Republican Party. Right, right. Well, I think for our state uh, of Iowa, I think that's that's true. At any rate, uh, within uh, in 1855, then the Iowa Legislature, which was meeting in Iowa City at that time, they didn't move the the state capital to Des Moines until 57, 1857, and they selected uh, James Harland as the first Republican senator uh, to represent the state of Iowa. And he and his family uh, moved uh, to Washington D.C., uh, but they frequently came back to Mount Pleasant, and they they maintained a a home in Mount Pleasant during that time, too. Uh, in fact, uh, they, they had some property uh, on a corner uh, right northeast of the college campus. Uh, but uh, after a couple of years of being in the Senate, uh, Senator Harlan felt he could build a, more, a, a bigger, more impressive home, and he built one on Madison Street uh, just about a block off the square. And that was the home that they would come and go from um, uh, when Congress was not in session. Now, at that time, was being a senator sort of a full-time job, or was he still working with the university? Uh, he was no longer. He was on the board of Iowa Wesleyan at that time, but he was no longer the acting administrator. Uh, so it was a full-time position for him. Okay. Yes. Okay, and so uh, he built the house. Now, is that the one that's the museum today? Uh, no, uh, the house that he built in 1857. Uh, was a two-story brick structure with a mansard roof. And uh, that particular structure is still in Mount Pleasant and is still in the same location. But years later, uh, after Senator Harlan had retired from the political life, uh, he built additions onto both parts of his home and created a hotel uh, for revenue purposes. So the home he built in 1857 uh, was is now called by many of the locals the Harland Hotel. It no longer functions as a hotel, uh, but it does contain p- uh, apartments, uh, low-income apartments. Uh, the other property that he owned uh, on the corner, which is what we now call the Harland Lincoln House, uh, they moved into that um, some years later, in the 1873. Okay. Well, no, he's getting ahead of your story. So he has a nice house now in Mount Pleasant. Right, he does. And uh, uh, when he first went to uh, uh, Washington, he certainly had heard of this young uh, lawyer in uh, Illinois named Abraham Lincoln. 
And uh, in fact, he and Abraham Lincoln's families kind of paralleled each other. The children were about the same age. Uh, each family eventually had four children, and uh, they both were kind of self-educated men coming from the Midwest. Uh, so there was probably a bond that developed even before the two men met each other. Um, they didn't meet until Abraham Lincoln had been elected uh, President of the United States in 1860. And Harlan later said that he saw President uh, Lincoln and shook his hand at a reception uh, after the election. Uh, but it wasn't until some weeks later that President Lincoln called in James Harlan uh, and uh, wanted to ask him his thoughts about some of the men that he was considering to put together for his cabinet. So uh, Harlan went on then to, to while he stayed in the, the Senate for a few years, he played an important role in the Lincoln administration. He did. Um, he, uh, Abraham Lincoln sought his advice throughout the war, uh, and uh, at the end of uh, Lincoln's uh, first term in office, uh, after his election to the second term, but before his assassination, uh, he named James Harlan to be the Secretary of the Interior. So James Harlan was the first Iowan uh, ever to serve in the cabinet of, of the president, of a president. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. But I did know he was he was definitely a very uh, prominent national figure by then. He, he was. And uh, just recently, in fact, I've seen a couple of articles. I, I knew about this, but uh, as some of our Republican candidates now have called for a national day of prayer, that idea actually came from James Harland. Because in 1863, during uh, some of the darker periods of the Civil War, James Harlan called for a national day of prayer. And they actually had, and it's sort of become a tradition when things are, are going badly now to do it. But I right. didn't know it started with him. You know, yes, every time did. you turn around, you run into Harlan. <laughs> Well, that's one of the reasons, of course, that James Harland, uh, at the time in which they put uh, two statues in the statutory Hall of Fame in, in uh, Washington, D.C., that's one of the reasons, of course, that James Harland was considered and selected at that time. Uh, but well, once once they moved to uh, Washington, um, you know, they had to educate Mary and William, and uh, Mary went into... Uh, uh, a rather exclusive French school there uh, where she was taught uh, the skills needed for a woman of her class. Uh, she was taught foreign language. She was taught uh, the harp, how to play the harp and the piano. Music was always an important part of the of the Harlan family. And uh, it was in that small uh, social group. Uh, they, of course, sons and daughters of congressmen, senators, even the president, they got to know each other and, and began to date each other. And that's actually where Mary then first set her eyes on uh, Robert, who was a dashing young man, the oldest child of uh, Abraham and Mary Lincoln. Uh, he was a Harvard graduate, and, and at the time she met him, he was a captain uh, in the uh, United States Army, and uh, they they seemed to enjoy each other a lot. Um, uh, after, of course, just a month after they had their first date to the second inaugural ball, in which Mary and Abraham Lincoln and also James and Ann Harland were there, it was a wonderful night because it, people did know that the war was almost over, but just a month after that, President Lincoln was assassinated. And I'm sure the people back in Mount Pleasant that knew the two young people had, had spent some time together, I'm sure they their sympathy went out, and probably some of them wondered if Robert had sought out uh, Mary uh, you know, to, to, to uh, have someone with him during this really hard time. Yeah, it's Robert Lincoln's probably one of the most tragic figures in history, really, because, I mean, he had so much going for him, and yet every time he turned around, something awful happened. Well, yes, and he was living in the shadow of a, a legend, you know, uh, too, his dad's legend. Um, they had had, uh, Abraham and, and Mary Lincoln had four children, and as most of you know, only Robert lived to adulthood and, and married uh, the other three boys died uh, uh, two, uh, you know, uh, before they even reached their teens, and 
Tad Lincoln uh, was a teenager when he died. Uh, in the case of uh, Mary Harlan, she was also the oldest in her family. Uh, as I said, one uh, brother died in uh, Iowa City. Uh, she had a younger sister that lived to be about seven and died in Washington, D.C. during their time there. And William, uh, the brother that she was the closest to, uh, William died at the age of 24 in California of a, a lung condition. Uh, so, uh, ironically, uh, both of these families, only one of their children survived, and those two children married each other. It is, uh, the mar- an, odd. It is yeah, an odd symmetry. It is. Uh, the marriage between Robert and, and Mary Harland actually took place about three years uh, after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, although Mary Harland knew Abraham Lincoln and had spent time with him. Some Some said that Abraham called her Little Mary uh, dis- to distinguish her, of course, from his, his own wife, who mm-hmm. also had the name Mary. Uh, they got married in a real quiet ceremony uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, at that time, uh, James Harland, he only spent one year as Secretary of the Interior. He had some problems with the Johnson administration, uh, mm-hmm. so he was selected to go back into the Senate. So at the time of the wedding, uh, James Harland was a senator once again. And Robert, uh, after the assassination of his father, he and his mother, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, and his younger brother, Tad, they had all left uh, almost immediately uh, for Chicago, Illinois, uh, where they uh, lived and uh, where uh, Robert got his law degree. So he was a lawyer at the time he and uh, Mary got married in 1868. Uh, and then uh, after that wedding, they, they moved to Chicago, and uh, he was practicing law there. And uh, just a couple of years after that, in 1871, of course, they had the huge Chicago fire. And that provided Robert's uh, law firm with a lot of work, a lot of activity, <laughs> uh, because of all of the homes that, and businesses that were burned in the fire. Well, um, there's no great loss without some small gain, they yes, always say. Yes, that's, that's probably true. And it was during those years that they started their family, uh, Mary and Robert. And, oh, the Harlands were so pleased. And I'm sure Mary uh, Todd Lincoln was very pleased, too. Uh, because uh, in 1869, about a year after they had gotten married, they had their first daughter. And uh, the the family really used the name Mary a lot. They named their first <laughs> child Mary. Uh, but fortunately, uh, throughout her lifetime, she was known as Mamie. Um, and then a few years later, uh, in 1873, uh, they had their second child, and that was a little boy, and they named him Abraham Lincoln II, uh, but he was always known as Jack Lincoln. And two years after Jack was born in 1875, they had their third child. This was a girl, and they named her Jessie. Now, what was important about uh, their home in Chicago was the fact that uh, the same, in fact, the same train route, the Amtrak route out of Chicago that that runs today, was running at that time. And uh, so it made it very convenient um, for uh, Mary Lincoln um, and uh, her three children uh, to get on the train and come out to Mount Pleasant to spend time with her mother and father. Uh, the children's maternal grandparents. And Mary really liked that. I mean, all of her friends, uh, uh, many of her friends were there in Mount Pleasant, and she felt like it was just such a a comfortable spot for her to raise her children. And they loved coming out there because it gave them freedom that they certainly didn't have in a city as large as Chicago. Uh, So uh, starting even before uh, the birth of the children, certainly Mary was coming and going to Mount Pleasant, but after the children uh, became a little older, uh, she was a frequent visitor, sometimes spending months at a time, the summer months and, and uh, other parts of the year, uh, with her mother and father. And at that time, they were living in the Harlan, what's co- now called the Harlan Lincoln House uh, on the corner of the uh, Iowa Wesleyan campus. Now, I just want to pause here for a second and give our numbers again, just in case anybody has a question or a comment and they want to call in. The numbers again are 714-242-5253. That's 714-242-5253 or toll-free 
1-877-633-9389. That's 1-877-633-9389. Okay, back to the story. So, they're coming back and forth. You said you went there originally looking for pictures. Did you find many? Well, I did find many. Um, there was a uh, photographic firm called the Lysenring Brothers, and they made uh, quite a few pictures of the three grandchildren uh, during their summer days. They were popular, uh, of course, to sell uh, because people wanted pictures of, of the grandchildren of Abraham Lincoln, that's for sure. Um, and the the children played such a, a, a active role in the community. I mean, uh, certainly uh, Mamie had her friends. Uh, uh, by that time, she was, you know, developing into a young lady. And Jack was especially popular. He, he was a real athletic uh, young man, very intelligent. Uh, all of them had wonderful manners. Uh, Jack had a, a little pony cart that he would ride around town, often with his a big sister Mamie in behind, and most of the mothers in Iowa uh, in uh, Mount Pleasant knew that Jack loved chocolate, chocolate chip cookies, uh, and uh, so everybody had a story to to tell about the the Lincoln grandchildren, and and they were always good stories. Uh, there's a, a a natural lake uh, right on the edge of uh, the uh, downtown area, and at, at that time it was called Boulder Lake, later called Coles Pond, uh, but uh, at one point in 1883, um, the Coles said that uh, the young people in the town could swim in the pond during the uh, summer. But before they could do that, they had to sign uh, that uh, they would refrain from alcohol or tobacco until the age of 21. And uh, Jack signed it. He signed it with his proper name, Abraham Lincoln II. <laughs> uh, and there was also a, a time in which the girls could uh, bathe, as they called it. They didn't call it swim. And, of course, it was uh, they, they could not be uh, bathing at the same time. So the girls had some days to bathe, and the young boys had some days to bathe. Uh, so there was just a lot of stories as, as the three Lincoln uh, grandchildren explored the town. Uh, the mother in, in that particular town, uh, Mary Lincoln, knew that uh, if she didn't see her kids, there was some other mother that was uh, looking out the window seeing them, and they felt really safe and secure in, in Mount Pleasant. They loved being there. Robert came as often as he could, but he was a really busy man, both his law practice and then he was named uh, to uh, a cabinet position. Um, and eventually uh, he was named as the ambassador to to England in 1889. And that was exciting because uh, he could take his young family um, to uh, England, um, and they were really excited to go. Uh, Jack particularly had an interest in the sea, um, and uh, he hated to leave Mount Pleasant. Uh, he, he enjoyed his sum summers there. He had, in fact, a tennis net uh, that he left with a friend of his saying that they would uh, enjoy that uh, tennis game more when he came back. And so the whole family uh, sailed for London uh, in 1889. Benjamin Harrison had been the president who had uh, named him to be the ambassador. And actually, uh, Mary's uh, Mary Lincoln's mother, Anne Harland, uh, had a uh, family relationship with the Harrisons. Uh, Benjamin Harrison's son had married uh, one of her uh, nieces. Uh, so sure. there was a connection there between the two families, too. But, uh, well, uh, Mamie and Jesse were both presented to the Queen, um, Queen Victoria, uh, and uh, uh, that was quite an event, of course. And Jack... He was about 17 at the time, and they uh, were grooming him uh, to attend a, a prep school leading to Harvard. Uh, so Jack went over to France to study the French language and customs. Um, but unfortunately, while Jack was there, uh, he got what was called a carbuncle. It was a blood infection uh, in the elbow, and they just couldn't get it cured. Um, and uh, the doctors uh, did some surgery, uh, but it just wasn't working well. Uh, they, the girls, uh, Jess, his sisters, Jesse and Mamie, and a young man named Charles Isham that was a friend of Mamie's, uh, they sailed over to France and uh, they brought, uh, brought Jack back to London. Uh, some said he was in a hammock on the ship because he, uh, it was just so painful for him. 
uh, to be on anything that would would shake. Um, and uh, then within a, a few weeks and months of that, uh, Jack Lincoln died. And it was a, a terrible loss for Robert and Mary Lincoln and, and uh, Mamie and, and Jesse. Uh, the young man had been uh, such a, a, a bright star, a bright prospect uh, uh, for, for so many. And just, you know, I've seen uh, you give the program that you have on it, and then you had some shared some of the pictures of him. And, I mean, he really does just kind of light off the screen. And he does. It, and it just it it's just a, a great shame because who knows what he might have accomplished. And, that's, and, that's really true. And with the, the family, I mean, having gone through so much already, it's just, as I say, poor Robert. Every time he turns around, something yeah. terrible happens. And, of course, he had to stay. He had a job to do, so he had to stay in England. Uh, Mary and the girls came back, and they came to Mount Pleasant where they were to spend the next six months uh, with her uh, with her father. So uh, did they mom, bury Jack in England, or did they bring uh, him no, back? No, Jack was brought back, and he was actually buried in Springfield, Illinois, with his grandfather, uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, and his uncles um, in the tomb there. Um, but... Uh, the, the uh, Anne Harland had died in 1884. Uh, so at that time, uh, at the death of uh, of her son Jack, um, her her father was widowed and living in in the house in Mount Pleasant. Uh, also during those years, just before uh, Robert and Mary went to England, uh, his mother, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln, had passed away uh, in Springfield, Illinois. And a lot of people know that there was some stress, uh, certainly. Uh, Mary uh, Todd Lincoln was a difficult mother-in-law, I think, for Mary Lincoln, uh, and uh, she she certainly uh, enjoyed any time in which uh, her granddaughter uh, could come and visit. Uh, that was Mamie, uh, but uh, she didn't have many happy times with uh, the young Lincoln family. Well, I'm sure she didn't. I mean, by then, she was so shut down with all that she'd gone through. I don't think... There could have been anybody that he'd have married that she'd have no. gotten along with. I mean, no. she just was too protective of herself. And then after uh, Mary Todd Lincoln had died, she died at the uh, at the home of her sister in Springfield. But she had been uh, a person that uh, liked to acquire things, and she had 64 trunks of her huh. acquisitions, many of them being uh, dresses, uh, fine fabrics, one time they said she, I think she bought 200 purses at one time. Uh, she just uh, had a kind of an uncontrollable urge to shop. and um, So all of those items were brought to Mount Pleasant, and they were stored in the upstairs bedrooms at, at the Harlan Lincoln house where, where uh, James Harlan was living at that time. And it was Mary Lincoln's job then to sort through all of those clothing and, and fabric and send them off to um, uh, the needy um, or to some museums. Uh, she was, she uh, did a good job of it, and she felt that was her role. So um, did any of that material stay in Iowa? Uh, yeah, some of it did. Um, actually, Jessie, uh, uh, Marion Roberts' younger daughter, uh, she used some of the fabrics to make little purses that she gave to all of her friends. Uh, there was a mourning veil uh, that was given to a, a, a woman in Mount Pleasant that's now in the Harlan Lincoln House um, and framed in, in archival framing. Uh, so some of those items were around, but quite possibly some of the women at uh, the uh, county home in Henry County were actually wearing some of the uh, Mary Todd Lincoln's dresses. I mean, huh. that, that was certainly a possibility. Um, but there was some good news after the death of Jack, too, and that was that I just mentioned that man named Charles Isham that went along with Mamie and Jesse to, to get Jack in France and bring him back to London. Uh, he had fallen in love with Mamie, and uh, so they had a wedding in England, in London, uh, uh, about a year after uh, the death of her brother. And that brought a lot of happiness to the family once again. Uh, later, a, a couple of years later, they had a son, and uh, Charles and Mamie uh, named their son Lincoln Isham. 
And uh, Charles was a longtime historian, a librarian historian with the New York uh, uh, Historical Society. Um, the younger girl, uh, Jessie, uh, after her older sister had gotten married, uh, 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 Mary and Jessie spent lots of time in Mount Pleasant, and uh, Jessie took classes at, at Iowa Wesleyan. Um, you know, by that time, James Harland was an old man, and uh, he needed his daughter there uh, more and more. In 1895, he turned the house over to Mary and Robert Lincoln, and he moved into the old hotel building uh, where he could take his meals. They built a new wing on for him, so he had his, his bedroom and his study and his library, and he could take his meals right there at the hotel. And after Mary was given the property in 1895, she did a lot of remodeling there, put in some central heat, and uh, she had uh, two big parties that fall to kind of show off the house to people, uh, one in honor of Mamie's uh, birthday and one in honor of uh, Jesse's birthday. And they were big affairs. It was a lot of fun uh, for the, the young people of Mount Pleasant. Uh, one of the parties uh, at the bottom of the invitation, it said dancing, and uh, Iowa Wesleyan didn't allow their students to dance at that time, being a Methodist uh, institution. And a couple of the girls stayed uh, and and danced at the Lincoln party. And uh, because of that, they they uh, had to uh, they were taken out of school for a week uh, as punishment. <laughs> it was probably worth being out of school for a week. Yeah, it probably was. Uh, but then, uh, during those years, uh, a couple years later in 1897, uh, Jessie, um, well, she was very popular. They they all liked Jessie, and she was a very pretty young woman. And uh, she started to see uh, one of the, uh, the one of the captains of the football team, a good baseball player too. His name was Warren Beckwith, and. The Lincoln family, Robert and Mary, they kind of heard uh, heard some talk about this, and they weren't real happy about it. Now, it wasn't that Warren's family wasn't a fine family, as his father had been a, uh, a an officer in, in the Civil War and uh, a fine businessman. They had a big home over on the west side of Mount Pleasant. But it was just that Robert and Mary... Uh, Jesse had been exposed to so many things, living in London for a while, and they were just hoping what, that she might make what they called a brilliant alliance. Um, but she was in love with Warren, and, and finally the Lincolns took her to Chicago and trying to, to break up this relationship. But um, you know, within a week, uh, Warren got on the train and came to Chicago, and he met uh, Jesse at the train depot, and they went to Milwaukee on the train, they eloped and they got married. And uh, she hadn't told her parents. She came back that night scared to death and didn't tell her parents. And finally the phone rang and it was a newspaper reporter uh, from Milwaukee saying that they had a document there that stated a, a uh, Jesse Lincoln and a Warren Beckwith had gotten married that day. So they went into Jesse's bedroom and confronted her with it and she broke down in tears and said, uh, yes, that was true. Um, so uh, that was done, even though the Lincolns were not very happy about it. Um, uh, they were married. They came back to Mount Pleasant because that's where his family was, and, of course, also uh, Jesse's grandfather was living there. Uh, and uh, about a year after their marriage, they had a child who they also named Mary. There were a lot of Marys here, but uh, <laughs> their daughter, uh, born in Mount Pleasant, uh, was a nickname Peggy, and she went by that name for the rest of her life. Uh, later, they were had a stillborn, and then they had a son, which they named Robert Lincoln Beckwith, uh, but he was known as Buddy Beckwith uh, throughout his life, Bob or Buddy, usually Buddy. And so there were three uh, great-grandchildren for Abraham Lincoln, three grandchildren for Robert Lincoln, and that was Lincoln Isham, uh, Mamie's son, and then the two children by Jesse, uh, Peggy, and, and Bob Beckwith. Um, and uh, shortly after that, in 1899, the last year of the decade, uh, James Harlan passed away. And with his passing, uh, it was kind of the end of the visits uh, of the Lincoln family. Uh, they came several more times, and eventually they gave the house that had been their father's, but was now owned by Mary Lincoln. They gave that house to um, 
the, the Iowa Wesleyan College. Now, the three children went on to lead lives um, of some interest. Uh, Robert and Mary built their retirement home uh, in Ma near Va Manchester, uh, New Hampshire. Er, I'm sorry, Manchester, Vermont. And uh, they called that mansion Hildeen. And that's where most of the family lived uh, for the rest of their lives. In fact, Robert Lincoln, uh, just a few months after the dedication of the huge Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., he died uh, at Hildeen, and he died in his father-in-law's bed. He died in James Harlan's bed, and we know that because the bed had in engravings at the top of it uh, of both the Odd Fellows and the Masonic Lodge, and those were organizations that uh, James Harlan belonged to, but Robert uh, Lincoln did not belong to. Huh. Um, so uh, uh, later, Jessie and the two, her two children, Jessie divorced uh, Warren Beckwith after just a few years. Uh, actually, Warren was the one that divorced her uh, in Mount Pleasant, uh, charging her with desertion because she took the two children and pretty much moved in with her parents. She was married two more times. Uh, the last marriage being to one of the Randolphs from Virginia, a, a very fine family, finally maybe achieving that uh, brilliant alliance that her parents had, had long hoped for. Um, and uh, Peggy, um, the, uh, the, her daughter, uh, lived out her life at Hildeen. She never married. Uh, Lincoln Isham, of, of that last generation, uh, Lincoln Isham uh, married uh, but had no children. He married a woman that had a child, but he had no children. Um, uh, uh, the two uh, Beckwith uh, children, uh, Peggy, never married, lived in Hildeen. Uh, Buddy Beckwith married three times, uh, but had no children. Uh, so with the death of Buddy Beckwith in 1985, uh, uh, Peggy had died in 1975, and Lincoln before that, Lincoln Isham, uh, with the death of Buddy Beckwith in 1985, that was the end of the line uh, for both the Harlan family and uh, the Abraham Lincoln family. There was no more. It's always amazing to me how these people can start out with these large families and then die out, but it yeah. seems to happen yeah. a lot. So that was the end of an American dynasty, really. It, it really was. Um, and what was interesting was that Mary Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln had no will. Mary Todd Lincoln, his widow, had no will. Uh, and Robert, when he died, left everything to his wife, Mary Lincoln. And she wrote a will that said if there was no uh, blood descendants of her line, the, 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 the money would stay with the three grandchildren, but if there were no blood descendants after that generation had passed, uh, the estate, which would have been Abraham Lincoln's estate, Robert Lincoln's estate, uh, that would be divided three ways. Uh, One-third of it would go to the American Red Cross. One-third of it would go to the Christian Science Church, which Mary had gotten a lot of strength from later in her life. And one-third of it went to Iowa Wesleyan College, uh, the, the school that had been so dear to her father. Well, that sounds like a, a good ending if you can't pass it on. Um, yes. So, but today you can visit the house because it's a museum, right? You can. It's a museum uh, in Mount Pleasant. Uh, it doesn't keep regular hours. You need to contact uh, contact the college or the archivist, Lynn Ellsworth, and uh, set up a time uh, to visit uh, to visit the Harlan Lincoln House. But there's a lot of artifacts of interest there. In fact, uh, just recently, uh, the widow of Buddy Beckwith, the last of the Lincolns, who died in 1985, he had married a younger woman, and she just died in 2006 or 2007. So some of the last items belonging to the Lincoln family uh, came uh, up at auction. And the Harlan Lincoln uh, house was fortunate to get uh, many unique items uh, that uh, were still part of that uh, Lincoln family. So there's a lot of artifacts to see if you visit the house. Well, that's great. And you've written a book about this, so why don't you tell us about that? Uh, yes, I've written a, a small book telling the same story that I described tonight. It's a, a spiral-bound book, um, but it's uh, got a lot of early photographs. Uh, it's called The James Harlan and Robert Todd Lincoln Families 
Mount Pleasant Memories. Uh, it sells for twenty dollars, and, and a, a, a large portion of that, it all the profits go to the Harlan Lincoln House. But a lot large profit uh, part of that is fundraising for the house itself. Uh, with any old house, you know, it it costs a lot to, for the upkeep. Um, but it's uh, it's something that I know the college is very proud of. Uh, college owns the house itself, and uh, so uh, we constantly try to. Uh, to uh, help out financially. Well, it's a lovely book. I have a copy, oh, and, and I highly recommend it to anybody who is interested in Abraham Lincoln at all. And uh, can did, now I got my copy directly from you. Do they have to get it directly from the museum, or I uh, no? Check it, it. It's only being sold uh, on the campus of Iowa Wesleyan. But uh, people uh, could freely contact me. Uh, by telephone, if you'd like me to give my telephone number uh, or I can give my email address, I'd be happy to put a copy in the mail uh, for them. Um, my telephone number here in Iowa City is area code 319, number 3549356. And as I said, that uh, costs $20. You can make out a check payable to me. And again, my name is Paul and my last name is spelled J-U-H-L, and I'd be happy to get a copy to them. If if uh, you can't uh, contact me, if you get to Mount Pleasant, Iowa, uh, they're, uh, they're on sale at the bookstore uh, in the college, on the college campus. Okay, and we just have, I, I said this hour would go fast, and we only <laughs> have about eight minutes left, but I did want to briefly touch on it, something that, I don't think really got enough play in Iowa, and I'm sure didn't get hardly any nationally. But Iowa has just uh, recently decided to change the two statues. If if the audience doesn't know this, each state is given two spots to put statues of anybody that they want to in uh, the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Iowa's have been Samuel Kirkwood, our, our uh, Civil War governor, and James Harlan, who we've been talking about tonight, and they've just decided to pull uh, Harlan. So did you want to comment on that a little bit? Uh, yes, I could comment a little bit. Uh, as you said, uh, they're going to replace James Harlan with uh, another man of, of great merit, uh, Norman Borlaug, um, and uh, they will create some of the people that uh, back this proposal will create a uh, statue of Norman Borlaug, uh, that will be in the statutory Hall of Fame. Um, and, of course, most people know that Norman Borlaug was from up near uh, Cresco, uh, Iowa, and uh, he uh, was born in Iowa and lived here until uh, he was 18 years of age uh, and then left the state um, and uh, fed the world, many many people say, with uh, some of the things that he discovered um, I'm not sure why uh, the state legislature uh, chose uh, to take out uh, James Harlan and, and leave in uh, Governor Samuel Kirkwood. I would guess probably, I, I don't know how much research they did on it, uh, but probably uh, the name Kirkwood, because of Kirkwood Community College, is a little more was a little more recognizable to them. Um, but uh, I hope they never discount James Harlan. I think his statue will be given a, a prominent spot uh, in Des Moines, somewhere by the state capitol or in the state capitol, and I think that would be uh, quite appropriate uh, because certainly, as you could tell uh, tonight, uh, he was the first in many ways uh, for our state of Iowa, and, and he shouldn't be forgotten, uh, that's for sure. Uh, he was yeah. a, a good man, a, a stately man, um, who really understood what it took to be a good politician, I think. Yes, and, and why I certainly am not discounting Norman Borlaug's contributions at all, which are considerable. Right. I just did, did not particularly care for the dismissive attitude that you heard people say so right. many 19, you know, they said Kirkwood and, and Harland were two 19th century politicians. Well, they were pretty prominent national figures. And they were very prominent, and, and it's always uh, history will test people. So uh, 100 years from now, uh, you know, we'll see what, or over 100 years, uh, we'll see how anybody stands up that test of time, I guess. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
James Harlan made uh, quite a contribution, although he was not born in Iowa uh, from the age 24 until his death uh, over 50 years later. Uh, he was a major player in, in our state and uh, did so many things uh, uh, so well. Um, I, I would I would hope no one would would dismiss him, and I would hope that uh, when that decision was made, people did look into it uh, more than perhaps I give them credit for. Well, probably not, but I'm glad that he's got going to have a new good home, and I hope that. Uh, his returning to the state capitol will encourage people to find out a little bit more about James yes, Ireland. I think that's right, Sarah. That would be my hope, too, that uh, there might be more interest in, in James Harland uh, because of that, too. Yeah. And uh, I did want to mention one other thing about him that I thought was, was kind of cool because uh, he was actually, everybody probably knows about Lincoln being shot in Ford's Theater and then he was carried across the street to right. um, the house. And James Harlan was one of the people allowed in, into the room while while he was die, dying because he hung on, Abraham Lincoln hung on for a really long time considering his wound. He did. Um, actually, uh, James and Ann were on their way home to Mount Pleasant uh, when they got the news uh, right about at the border between Ohio and Indiana, and immediately James went back to Washington, D.C. Now, I don't know exactly what time he got there. Uh, Ann came on home to uh, Mount Pleasant, but it was such a shock uh, for the family. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, James was right away uh, selected uh, for the a group that traveled the country with uh, Abraham Lincoln's body uh, and uh, was in charge of the, uh, uh, any type of memorials at that time, too. Uh, so uh, he he played quite a role there, too. Yeah, it just goes to show how, how well he was thought of at the time. Yes, yes, that's true. And then I always always like to mention with anybody who says that about Lincoln's uh, funeral train that because I did not know this for a long time, but the Union Pacific Museum in, in Council Bluffs, Iowa, actually has a lot of the furnishings, the silver and all that oh, yeah. from they? the train uh, that he was on, and and it's it's really cool to get to go see that. I might mention too that uh, when Robert died. Uh, he was. Uh, he and Mary were buried at Arlington. They were not buried in Springfield. And after Robert had died, Mary made arrangements to bring the body of their son, Jack, to Arlington so that he could be buried with his father. Uh, the body had spent those first years until the, uh, the 20s, so the 30 years or so, uh, the body of Jack Lincoln had been in Springfield. Uh, but then, uh, uh, before Mary's death, she brought the body of Jack so that the three of them could be together at, at Arlington National Cemetery. Hmm. I, there's just so much to see at Arlington. I think I could spend a whole day there just from yes. the, the things that I've heard yeah. about that are there. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, I, I think Robert was kind of thoroughly sick of the the Lincoln yeah. Memorial in Springfield by then, all, by all accounts. So. Yeah, I think he was too. And Mary wanted people to recognize her husband on, for his own right. I mean, he had, he had served uh, his nation in so many ways. He had. And uh, he was always a bit overshadowed. Uh, many times he was suggested to, to run for president, um, but he never chose to do that. Uh, but served in cabinets, uh, you know, was an ambassador and... Uh, was uh, uh, in later years president of the Pullman uh, Car Company, which made uh, luxurious railroad cars. And that's really where, uh, first he was a lawyer for them, later the president. That's really where he made uh, his money in life that enabled him to have a, a very comfortable retirement. Yes, that, that um, house they, they built in Vermont is yes, certainly a be. mansion. Yes, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, and that's open as a museum now too. So if one gets to Manchester, Vermont, uh, you can uh, have a look at Hill Dean and, and the fields around it. Uh, it's a, a beautiful area. Actually, Mary uh, Todd Lincoln had gone there a couple of times during the Civil War just to get away from Washington because Washington was kind of low, and in the summer they thought. There was a lot of uh, disease uh, that might be present there. So she had been up to that area and had taken Robert along as a young man, and he had loved it evidently at first sight and had always thought that that might, uh, 
might be a spot where he might like to retire. They were only there in the summers. Uh, they had a home in Washington, D.C. the rest of the time. And as the saying goes, uh, when they saw the very first snowflakes, that's when they headed back to, to Washington from Vermont. So <laughs> it was a very nice uh, retirement for both of them. I'm sure it was. And we are almost entirely out of time. So I want to thank you very much for, for uh being on tonight, Paul. I'm sure everybody learned a lot, and I had a great time. Well, I hope they did. I really enjoyed it, too, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And maybe we'll have to do it on some other topic again sometime. I'm I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, and good night, everybody, and watch for future episodes. And here we play out. Thank <laughs> you.